Hi everyone, I'm Kat. And I'm Nick. And, and welcome, welcome to, to the, the Pondering, Pondering Podcast. So I'm Nick Pond. Growing up, my family always joked about our last name and we always talked about pondering. We love to ponder, we love having conversation. And then Kat came into the family and we have continued that tradition. Yeah, when I first met Nick's family, all we did was have like deep topics. I think your mom even had an app that would ask us questions yes. at dinners and things like that. And it was my favorite thing ever. And now it's like the basis of our whole relationship is conversations and pondering life. And she'll literally, yeah, she'll live. My mom will literally just be like topics with pondering. no context. Yeah. <laughs> topics. And you're like, what? So we're always <laughs> trying to create conversation around interesting topics, deep topics. So that's what we're going to do here. We're going to throw in a lot of different fun topics and ha have you guys join in and have you guys participate in the conversation. Just talk about things that we have been pondering in our own little life and we're going to see where it goes. So come along for the ride. Hopefully you enjoy it as much as we do. <laughs> <laughs> so just as a little, if you don't know who we are, we're the Ponds. We've been married for five years. Almost. Five in years December. in December. I'm jumping the gun. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it's been a lifetime in kind a good of, way. But short at the same time. Kind yeah. of crazy. Yeah. We got engaged five years ago this month. There you go. That's We've known each deal. other longer Over than six five years. years. Okay. We live in Utah. Yes, we live in Utah. And when I met Kat, we went out on our first date and we hit it off right away because we bonded over family having kids, travel, and food. Literally on our first <laughs> That's date. That's basically our life. <laughs> I told Nick I wanted kids, and he didn't run away. So that was really good. But in fairness, I prompted it. I asked. Yeah, you made I think I, I think I said, why aren't you pregnant or something? Something like that. And, and I was like, said, I wish I, I was. Wish, yeah. <laughs> I, I if I right only then, knew how hard it was, I probably I right wish then, that. I wanted to knock her up. But yeah, <laughs> looking back... We had no idea what was what we were in for. That's crazy. That is crazy. We've never talked about that. We were such different, naive people back then. Life was so simple. We had no idea what was coming. Yeah. But so, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what prompted us to start sharing our life over on TikTok and on Instagram was our journey to start our family. And it's been, I don't know, I was going to say it's been unique, but I think what's interesting is the whole reason we have a really special online community is because it's not as unique <laughs> as one would think. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things, what's that called? Confirmation bias. Like once we've entered this world, you see it everywhere. I had a conversation just today and someone was talking about how their wife couldn't get pregnant because I was telling them a little bit about my story. So it's everywhere, but something that isn't talked about a lot. And I think that also prompted you to start sharing more information and to help other people. Yeah. Jumping the gun. Jumping the gun a little. But. No, no, no. But that is our whole platform is infertility and starting a family and loss and relationships and just Having all the hard things. Having fun when nothing's good. Yes, trying to find joy when everything goes to shit. So, whoa, that's this what we've is a been doing program. for the last year and a half. Before we Jumping get into the gun again. our crazy story, we're going to introduce each other. So, five things you need to know about Cat Pond. 
She is actually Hispanic, a quarter Hispanic. Her maiden name is Chavez. Still legally, it's Chavez. <laughs> she hasn't legally changed her name, even though most of the listeners probably know her as Cat Pond. And I also was not Cat before I met Nick. That's I true. Went by Catherine my whole life, so I was Catherine Chavez my whole life, and now everybody knows me by Cat Pond, but I'm still legally Catherine Chavez. Yeah. So first thing, she's Hispanic. Doesn't speak Spanish. Second thing, <laughs> her official name is Catherine, which is the name of my aunt, <laughs> my great aunt. I was, I'm a huge nickname guy in general. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because my name's Nick and I'm Nicholas, but I started calling her Cat right when we met. Do you remember how that yeah, all started? Yeah, it was right. Probably. When we met. So I coined the, the, the name Cat. So, like, people that know her before I met her call her Catherine, mm-hmm. people after call her Cat. Yeah, it's pretty. Cat is the kindest person I've ever met. She's so kind. She's the oldest child, just like me. Mm-hmm. And she's fiercely loyal. And she loves chocolate milk. That's true. I do love a good chocolate milk every night. <laughs> yeah. I have one right now. This drink is pretty chocolate milky. What are we drinking on today's episode? Right now, we have a chocolate crunch latte from Ooh. Dutch Bros. Love we need a little pick-me-up to be exciting and lively on this podcast. Just in general, we were struggling today. Yeah. We've both just been out of it. We went to a late movie last night and it just really wrecked us. We're so old. Yeah. <laughs> late as in got home at 11. That's late. <laughs> I know it is. That's true. Okay. Things you need to know about Nick is he is literally the life of any party. Anybody who knows him, he like gathers people, makes every single activity fun. And I try. I feel like that's like your main goal in life is to seek out fun and adventure. <laughs> what do you say? Absolutely. To go with that, his favorite place on the whole planet, even though he's traveled everywhere, is Disneyland. Oh my God. <laughs> I would prefer a trip first, but I love Disneyland. It's consistent and so fun. It's always fun. Yeah. And we had Disney passes when we were dating and first married. And those were like a lot of our date nights is going to Disneyland. It was really fun best miss it we were saying today i came home from the gym and i said cat i miss disneyland so much and she was like i was just thinking that and typically we'd be like let's plan a trip but i'm on like modified bread rest and pregnant so it would <laughs> not be worth it but we are gonna be taking this baby there as soon as we can asap okay and then nick is also the oldest that was what i was gonna say too that we're both the oldest so we're both a little strong-willed and a little controlling yes but I feel like that's been good in our relationship for the most part. Definitely. Just provided a lot of opportunities for conversation. No? <laughs> totally. No, it's great. Okay. Nick works in insurance, which is boring, but I feel like everybody should know that. And Nick was also an actor slash model and signed with an agency for a really long time. Fun fact. That sounds cooler than what it was, but that's true. You did a lot of commercials and you did some print stuff. A little, not a lot, but thank you. I went to interviews with the, or what are they called? Auditions. Auditions with you at stuff when we were dating. And I did book a Disneyland commercial audition. That's probably the highlight of my career. Yeah, and you had to shave your face and you were so bug. But that was pretty cool. That was really cool. But it was all day and it was hot and not as fun as you would think. Dang it. But I think a lot of people see Nick online and they're like, how do you get your husband to be a part of everything? And I'm like, because he loves it. You've been doing it for years. I do love the spotlight. Yes, like a little performer. (laughs) I feel like our kids are going to just be 
little attention seekers, (laughs) which will be fun. But um, we're both a little bit in different ways, attention seekers. Yeah, attention seekers and know-it-alls. So anyways, that's a little bit about us, little fun facts. And now I feel like we should get into our story. Let's get into the (laughs) nitty-gritty. Again, I, I would assume the reason anyone is even listening to this is because they know a little bit about our story and have been following us. This is just an opportunity to get a little deeper, share a little more information. And it all started (laughs) six months into marriage. We had already set a foundation in our relationship of the importance of family and wanting kids. Mm -hmm. I was 33 when we got married. Yep. Cat was 23. 23. By the time we started trying, I was 24. Okay. Which I guess I mentioned because in the culture in which I grew up, a very religious culture, both of us, mm-hmm. I don't know why I said I, very important emphasis on family. You have kids young, you get married young. So in my, I wouldn't say in my mind, but more in the culture of our world, I was a little behind the eight ball, the eight ball so to speak. <laughs> and that being said, I wanted to have kids sooner than later. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm married. I want to start my family. I want to be a young, fun dad because my dad was a young, fun dad. and But I was still a little hesitant to try. And you were like, we need to start trying. And again, growing up very religious, in my mind, it was like, you have sex, you get a girl pregnant, and you have a kid. <laughs> like yep. It's that easy. But then Kat was like, I'm on an IUD. That's going to take some time to recover. There could be issues we don't know about, so we need to start trying. And, so and I, was- I went and got my IUD out without telling you. I told Did you I know after. that. Okay. I'm no, like... no, no. We didn't like ever try to trick him or anything like that, but I had a doctor's appointment and I went this in. Relationship a lot. <laughs> no. I had a doctor's appointment just like for my annual checkup yeah, or whatever. You did and he, I was telling her that we were wanting to take out my IUD soon. And she was like, why would you come in for another appointment if I can just do it right now? And I was like, oh, sure. And so I had her take it out. And then I literally came home crying. I'm like, we don't have to try it, but I took it out because I knew we would want to soon. But I think I like wrote you a whole card and got you a box of condoms or something like that where I'm like, <laughs> we don't have to try. Like, we don't have to until you're ready. And then you were like, no, I think I'm ready. Yeah. And we used all the condoms and then we started trying. We didn't even do that. <laughs> Just, but <laughs> We started trying and trying and trying and trying. And again, as we've gone through this and experienced it and had conversations with people, we've learned that this is more and more common And we won't get too much into that, but I definitely think it's a generational thing. It seems like people in our age group, (laughs) that sounds so weird, but people that were born in a time frame have that problem a lot. And it's hard to get pregnant. Yeah, Um, it's like one in six couples have a hard time getting pregnant. We were trying, and I'd be curious, I'm sure you've shared a little bit, were you taking pregnancy tests like every time and getting disappointed? Like when did that all start? I think we tried for six months before I started doing that. Okay. The When I started taking pregnancy tests was actually when we were in Europe and when we were in Italy because my period was so late and we had been trying and so I, and that was in October. So we started trying in June and then in October, I think was when I took my first pregnancy test and it was negative, but my period was super late. And so we were like, how cool would it be if we got our first Pregnant, like positive pregnancy tests in Europe. Oh, and seriously. We didn't. Did and we... then we didn't for another three and a half years. <laughs> but 
you did get a positive. I'm trying to remember the, the false positive that you got. Was that before everything else happened? No. So that okay. was actually, so we tried for almost two years before two we years. got in to a fertility doctor. And the night before our first fertility appointment, I decided to take a test. Oh, yeah. And that one came back positive and it turned out that it was a faulty test and so we were like oh my gosh like the timing this is so crazy like we were about to start fertility treatments this is so amazing that happened to your sister so i'm like that's not that hard that far off that like we maybe weren't focused on it as much and then how everybody's just relax and it'll come and so i was like maybe that's what happened because we knew we had this appointment and then I went and took four more tests and they were all negative. And so then they confirmed the next day that I wasn't pregnant uh, and it was just like a faulty test. So what brand was that? So we can warn everyone not to. It was the Target brand, like knockoff brand. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was brutal because mm-hmm. we thought we were pregnant. I remember you like, because your family was over and you're like, hey, let's go on a walk with Ryder, our dog. And so we walked and she showed me and I was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. So we were so excited, but then we still went in. We only went in because check. I took the test. I took multiple tests before. Oh, got it. Yeah. So okay. we only really thought we were pregnant for a night because <laughs> the next morning I was like, no. I want to know before we go into this appointment mm. because we didn't have fertility coverage. So I'm like, if we're pregnant, we should not go to this appointment and right. pay for it. And then anyways, so then we went in anyways. And that was in November of 2020. That was the first week of November, and we did all my tests that first day, and everything came back normal for me. So they were they ordered all of your tests, like that same. Did week. I not get tested until you had been tested? I think maybe we just took them on different days. So Nick, goes, we assumed it was you, because you always assume it's the girl. Nobody ever talks about male infertility, so it was like, of course, it was me. And that's something that hadn't even crossed my mind. I didn't even know that was a thing. Neither one of us. Right? And again, I assumed the same thing. And, huh, you look good. Okay, I guess I'll get tested. We had Nick do a sperm analysis and it came back at zero. And we're like, what Shoot the heck blanks. does that even mean? Yeah, and then we got the call. Well, no, we, then they had us do it again. Because they're like, sometimes there's errors. Oh, sometimes right. you have and it kills everything for a couple days. So they were like we'll try again in a week and a half or something like that and then on november 20th they called us wow it's impressive you remember the date well it was november 20th of 2020 so it's like easy to remember Uh, but they called us and confirmed that's interesting november 20th 2020 just that's a lot of twos and that's like it's a special number for us and what a fateful day that was. Oh, it was the worst day of our whole lives. Wow. Well, no, it wasn't. It was up until that point. <laughs> it just got progressively worse and worse <laughs> for a while. Nick was told he couldn't have biological children. Yeah, so the, it's azospermia mm-hmm. is the official diagnosis. And again, it's something we hadn't even thought. So it was, as they say, we were blindsided, came out of nowhere. And it was a lot to process. I've never been that's sad up until that point Mm -hmm. because again with my upbringing and just you just are like I'm gonna marry a girl and have kids and and then all of a sudden that's all taken away and you feel powerless and you feel hopeless 
And I really questioned my identity and who I was because I couldn't be the one thing I knew I wanted to be in 20 seconds. Which is not true, but that's right. how it but felt. That's, yeah, it that's here. how yeah. I felt in the moment. And I just remember crying a lot and yeah. you were so comforting and were supportive. And then you had your moment. So maybe talk about your side of it in that moment. I had just never seen you so heartbroken ever. At that point, we'd been married three years. No, two years. Two years. Oh, yeah. So we've been married. Wait. If it was November Maybe it wasn't 2020. 2020. No, it was. It was. Huh. It was 2020. I'm so bad with dates and cats. So good. So I'm <laughs> going to trust you. <laughs> no, it was. I just had never seen you so sad. And so my first reaction was to like take care of you and tell you it was going to be okay because it really didn't change the way that I felt about you at all. But it was... But so my main focus was just like to make sure you were okay and that you were like supported and stuff. But like a couple days later, it just hit me that all I had ever wanted was to be a mom and be a mom to your kids and so many qualities, physical qualities, which don't matter. But I was so excited that our babies might have blue eyes and that like our babies might have curlier hair because you have curlier hair and like your skin tone's great. Like all these different things that I was like excited for our kids to have. I had to mourn that might not happen. But I think those things do matter because any couple is going to want the qualities of each other in their kids because you love your partner, your partner. So it's a mini version of both of you. So that was the other piece. You make a great point and I didn't think too much about that, but meaning just now when I was explaining it, but now you're reminding me that was another part is, you know, okay, there's options, but the, this won't be my biological kid. And that was a really hard pill to swallow. Yeah. I mean, at that point, actually, though, we were told that we might be able to get, have biological kids still with a micro Tessie, which is yeah, where they do that surgery. True. But we were told that it like, but we wasn't didn't know great about that yet. Or did they tell us I about that? Us about oh, it. okay. They were very, the guy who called us was so mean. Pessimistic though. You're done. He Which gives no. I get why they do that. They want to set expectations, but it was just, yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> so then I started doing like a deep dive on the internet to find out. I'd never heard of this before. I probably should have mentioned that as one of your five characteristics. <laughs> Kat goes so deep in the weeds on things, which is fantastic. Like you're so good at finding information on anything. And so that's what you did. Yeah, so for the next year... We just hung on to this hope that this surgery was going to fix our problems. It was really expensive, but we were still going to have biological kids. And we started doing everything we could to make sure that you had a successful surgery. So you were like taking a thousand vitamins and like eating all this different food and you cut out fish for six months and you yeah. were like, do we, we went to a foot zoner and you like we went to energy healers like we did everything that we possibly could um and then we scheduled your microtessie surgery for like a year it ended up being like a year later and it happened to be on our 3 year wedding anniversary but it did take a while at least for me to get on board for the surgery i wanted to avoid it 
for financial reasons. And I think in my mind, I just felt like that was like not giving up, but like the last shot, like the Hail Mary. So I was hoping a little in vain, but hoping that that other stuff worked. And did you feel that way? Or I feel like you were always planning on the surgery. I had just read so much stuff that like, there was no way we would naturally get pregnant. It would have been an absolute miracle. It would have been, but I believe in miracles. <laughs> and I still do, but- When you got the hard cold facts, it's a little hard to believe in anything else for me. That's how I felt. And this is a side note, but I'm now remembering how I had addressed that I had had a pretty easy life because you had an interesting upbringing with some challenges and divorce. And I think I remember saying, not that I wanted hard things, but just I felt like they would help me grow more. And then the hardest thing imaginable happens. I think, and I only bring that up because I think part of it was just like, oh, it'll happen. It's going to yeah. happen. Everything always works out for Everything Nick always Bond. works it out. And not even just for me, because it had, but just that attitude in general, I think is good to have in anything. But that being said, you have to like plan for the worst, yeah. prepare for the worst, which is what ended up happening. We, it was like the weirdest, hardest year, but it was nice because we had been focusing for the last two years on really trying to get pregnant. And we were focused on getting pregnant, but in a different way where I feel like we didn't have to try we weren't trying so actively yeah. that we could just have fun again. So that was like, I think, a good little break for us. Just we traveled. We just focused on our relationship a little bit more because we knew it wasn't in the cards until we did the surgery and then did IVF. And that was a huge weight off of my shoulders, at least. Yeah. And you said you had some cool, interesting experiences before, I guess, in relation to the surgery. I had the surgery, as Kat mentioned, on our anniversary the next year, so 2021. Yep. Oh, my gosh. And now I'm remembering how that all went down. So I'll share, and then you go back. And Okay. I love in the movies when they do that. Like, you see something happen, and they go back from another perspective, and you're like, whoa, it like, makes it more layered. Anyway, that's what's about to happen. <laughs> so we scheduled the surgery. I remember it being really early in the morning. We were living in Arizona at the time before the sun was up on our anniversary. And it was still COVID restrictions, so I couldn't come with you. And I think just the fact it was on our anniversary, we were like, that's an omen. Mm -hmm. This is going to work. This is it. And it was one of the top doctors in the country. And it just happened to be where we were living. And I don't know how intentional that was. I think that just worked out that way. So we were feeling really good. Like people go from all over the country and other countries to, to get the surgery from him. And so I had the surgery, got it all set up and I come out of surgery and I remember I had a text from you in all caps, the surgery worked, something to that extent, like they mm -hmm. found sperm, it worked and I was still coming out of anesthesia. So I was already loopy, but I just sobbed and the nurse was like, you okay? And I was like, <laughs> I like, couldn't talk, um, but was able to spit out. And then I think I showed her the phone and I was just so happy and so relieved and then within a few hours at most. I think it was the next day. Yeah, you're right. So then Kat came and picked me up and we like hugged and had this moment of like relief and joy because it had worked mm -hmm. and they found sperm and we're like, oh my gosh, we're going to be able to have kids now. And then the next day or a few days later, they called and basically said, what we found isn't strong enough. It's not going to work. You don't have anything. So it was just like being lifted up. Hallelujah, hope is restored. Everything is better and right. 
And then again, boom, <laughs> like rug ripped out from under you. And like way worse because it was like, we had no hope anymore. That was the last resort. Yeah, totally. I, as I mentioned in my mind, that was like the last Hail Mary, the last opportunity. So, and I remember my family was over, you were out doing something and I didn't tell anyone. Yeah. I didn't tell anyone. I think I told you the next day or maybe that day just because I was so embarrassed. I was so devastated and I just was so shocked <laughs> and like seriously, like I was starting to have a victim mentality. What was me? I can't believe this is happening to me. How could this happen to me Yeah, <laughs> and to us so. when all we want to do is be parents? But I want you to talk a little bit about the dream and how you felt about it. This is a whole nother topic that I think we could talk about. Sure. forever but I feel like I've always been like very spiritual and throughout this whole journey I made it a really big priority to connect with my kids and that really got me through all of the things that we had been going through and in the year leading up to this surgery I had been like journaling to my kids and trying to meditate and connect with my kids and I felt like I had connected to this one boy this little boy who I would like talk to and feel comfort from him, him knowing and telling me like, I'm coming, don't worry, everything's gonna work out. It like, so that connection was like already established. I also had a dream where I met my future self and I went to our future home and met our kids and walked through our house and saw how many kids we were gonna have. It's and like ghost of Christmas future, watching your life, so cool. And I don't know how, this could be a whole other episode and we've done another episode on this, but I'll just give a little overview of that specific dream. I had a dream that we had a boy and a girl and then we had a room for a little girl who had passed. But you didn't know that at the time. No, I did. You always say that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. My bad. My future self was just like, we keep this room for this baby girl that passed and it was like all white and had a bassinet and things like that in there. And she was like, I just go in there to remember her. And, but we keep the door closed. And then outside this window, Nick was out in our backyard playing with our dog and our two kids, a boy and a girl. So we had three kids total. So you went in the room. Wow. So you were prepared basically for the surgery not to work. I remember you telling me that. Well, so this, this oh. is the other thing that happened. Okay. <laughs> a week before Nick's surgery, we knew it was going to be we knew it was scheduled and we were like preparing for it and stuff. And we, I was really hopeful with Nick because I wanted him to go into the surgery feeling really positive, but I just always had this like weird feeling that it wasn't going to work out. And then I had another, I was just driving one day and I was like, I would do this frequently where I would like ask questions in hopes that little boy that I had connected to like would answer my questions. And I was just, what's going to happen with this surgery? and just said that out loud in the car. And I just felt him say to me, dad's my dad, no matter what. And in my mind, I was like, he biologically will not be yours, but that doesn't mean anything to these babies. And so I didn't say anything because I wanted Nick to go into the surgery, like feeling confident. And I felt like it was worth trying and I wanted to be wrong. So I was hoping to be wrong. And then yeah. when you, when the doctor called me and told me that the surgery was a success, I was so relieved and honestly didn't think much about that experience in the car. But then 
I just, the next day I, you told me about it and I just was like, I knew it, but I'm glad we tried because now we can, well, it wasn't right away that we like moved forward, but eventually I think you trying the surgery was how we were able to make our decisions moving forward. To your point, because as I'm listening, I'm thinking, man, why did we do the surgery? But at the same time, I still would have wanted to <laughs> because you have to do everything you can and try everything. That was definitely the last step to move forward with the next stage, <laughs> <laughs> which was a whole other thing because then it was, okay, how are we going to get kids here? And I think donor sperm was the first choice or how did that come about? Because I remember you looking at websites and compiling a, a list of donors and we just never felt good about it. We talked about adoption, looked into that a little, never felt good about that. Yeah, I was always trying to be so sensitive to your thoughts and feelings, but it was like us creating our family together. And one thing I was really sad about is not having the opportunity to have kids, to be pregnant and right. to breastfeed and do all those things. And... I was willing to skip those things, but it just didn't feel right to either of us to try adoption for no reason other than it just didn't feel like that's what was our family plan. I think you being very intentional about the whole experience and it's just interesting to talk about it this way because you have so many, I'm having so many like thoughts and impressions and like, I'm just thinking about how, and we've talked about this, but how we had, you have to take so many steps and move forward to the things. And by doing that, you get led to what ends up being what we did and what ends up being like what you're meant to do. Yeah. <laughs> Which you hear a lot in anything in life, right? But that was, I don't know, that's my perspective of the experience because what we ended up doing was not a last resort. That's not the right word. Like, it wasn't even something. It we wasn't something on the table yeah. until it was on the table, and then what we were doing all at once. If totally. that makes sense. How it really played out is we were like, we don't think we want to do adoption yet, so we started looking into donor sperm. And I was just like looking at all of the sperm banks, trying to find somebody who like looked like Nick, who had healthy health history, and it was just really hard for us and for me because I just felt like I wanted our kids to have more information about their donor. And I was doing a lot of research on like donor conceived kids and how they felt about being donor conceived. And it was just like, I couldn't get my head around using an anonymous donor. It was really hard for me. And we were expressing that to a family member of ours who was just checking up on us and was asking about how things were going. And in that conversation, he was like, well, why wouldn't I be the donor, which would answer all of our questions, which was uh, we would want our kids to know their donor, know their health history. And then it also was a huge perk that he was a part of Nick's family. And so this baby was going to possibly look a lot like Nick. And we had talked about family donors and how that would work and who it would be. And then that happened, as you said. And so it was like, oh, boom, like that's everything falling into place at the right time in the right way. So then once we decided that, then it was deciding, okay, how do we do this? Where do we do this? We were still in Arizona. Yes, we were still in Arizona at the yeah. time. Mm -hmm. 
And so we, this is where Kat's better because I'm trying to remember like timelines and what happened. But I guess what I'm getting at is we started looking at fertility clinics and there's a lot of issues with using no donor sperm. So we were visiting my sister at church in Mesa and Kat just happened to be watching one of my nieces who are twin girls in the hall and you struck up a conversation with someone because they thought it was your baby, which led to the conversation about like IVF and, and donor things. And they told you to do it abroad. Yeah. So basically, long story short, this guy was like, Bleh. sorry, I'm just, you can't see this listeners, but I, I did like a silent laugh because I was like, that was the worst cue up of what happened ever. I hope I piece that together. <laughs> I was trying to tee it up for you and try my best to remember it, but so it happened like, to you. Our nieces are twins who were conceived through IVF. This person out in the hallway had twin girls with him. And so I asked the little girls, they were probably like eight. I'm like, do you guys like being twins? I just was like striking up a conversation and their dad was there. And he was like, uh, they answered and they're like, that's so fun. And I'm like, oh, are, were, did you guys conceive them naturally? And he was like, yeah, we did. And he was like, and then he was like, is this your baby? And I was like, no, she's not. She was conceived through IVF. She's my cousin. She, not cousin. <laughs> she's my niece. But my husband and I are going to be doing IVF soon because at this point we knew we were going to have to do IVF to use known donor sperm. And I was like, and we're probably going to put in two embryos, which could result in twins. But I'm always interested of like how being a twin is. And especially if we're choosing that for our kids. So I just was like, so I didn't even wasn't even planning to talk to him about IVF, but he was like, oh my gosh, my best friend did IVF in the States. They did five rounds. They spent almost a million dollars trying to do IVF and they all failed. He was like, they went to Israel. They spent $5,000. They were there for three weeks and they got pregnant on the first try and they now have three kids. And he was like, do not do IVF in the United States. It's so much cheaper and it seems like they have better success outside of the United States. And I had literally never heard of that before. <laughs> and me being the researcher that I am, I went and sat back down. And within an hour, I'm like, we're going to Barbados. Because they use known donor sperm with no hoops to jump through. It's really hard to do in the United States. It was tropical vacation. And it was yeah. like a third of the price that we were getting charged here in the United States. It just hit everything we love. All things considering, obviously, but oh, you mean we get to travel somewhere amazing to start our family? Absolutely. And it's cheaper, including the flights and the food and the hotel. Totally. <laughs> so sign us up, right? That was in December, right before Christmas. And by March, we were flying out to Barbados to do IVF. It's interesting. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but just a thought I'm having is how much power and control you lose when you go through something like this. And it's in a lot of different forms. This is our story, right? But it happens a lot of different ways. But that you do get some choices you don't get normally. Like you mentioned, we could choose to put in two. Now you might not get two, and we got zero, obviously, right? Yeah. But there's some, and you could like choose genders. So it's just interesting how you like get control over some things. But then it still doesn't yeah. work. I You're like, know. I'd it's rather just get crazy. pregnant naturally. But if I can, I'll choose twins, or if I yeah. can pick a. Gender and you're playing twin. the odds, right? You said, "Well, we're going to put in two because then we have a better shot of getting even one." Which so. is why we did it. But so we go out to Barbados, had the best experience. I cannot recommend going to them enough. We've now been back twice, and we will go back if we ever choose to have more kids. It's just the best experience. 
on top of it being so cheap. And it just, they took such good care of us. We were out there for two weeks. We did IVF. Our donor came out with us so that we could have our best chance at making healthy embryos. So we were all out there together and that was really special. And we got three embryos and we put in two and went home and hoped it worked. (laughs) (laughs) But you got 12 eggs? We started with we started with sixteen eggs, oh, 16. eleven of them fertilized, and then That's six crazy. of them made it to day three, and then we ended up with three wow. embryos. And we didn't know the genders of them; we didn't test yeah. our embryos. That's wild. Obviously, I was there and know all this, but just going through it again, that's crazy because that's one fourth, a little less than one fourth. <laughs> we ended up with one sixteenth. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So we put in two. Which wasn't like a hard decision, but there was conversation around, do you want to put in two? Here's the pros, here's the cons. But I think we knew we wanted to do two. Especially because if it didn't work with one, we'd have to fly all the way back to Barbados. It wasn't like we could drive down the street to our clinic to do another transfer. Right. That was, we were like, we'll either get a two for one deal or we'll get one. The chances of us ending up with no baby at the end of this were slim, a lot slimmer if we put in two. Put into go back home, wait. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to wait like five to seven days. Cat was so anxious. What? I just wanted to know. I know. It was so cute. And you were just like, and I don't blame you, but I was like, let's not do it early and be disappointed for no reason. But but we weren't. We the were. Person- you took a test three days after? Four days. Four days after. Got a positive. Started tracking the tests. We're thinking... And, and we knew like one might not make it, but so we knew we have at least one in there. Mm-hmm. And then I think over time the levels leveled out. So you suspected one and then it was later confirmed that it was just one. Yep. And there's a lot of conversation around, do we want to, do you want one if you could pick and I don't know, back and forth. There are pros, of con- pros and cons of both. But we were ready for two obviously and ended up implanting one and we were... Over the moon. Yeah, we had a couple like little scares, bleeding, went to the hospital, like different things like that. But for the most part, my pregnancy was just so exciting. Like we finally made it. It was so fun. We found out it was a girl and we were just like so excited. We, we moved to Utah. Oh yeah, we moved to Utah right after. after coming back and then found out the gender revealed it in cliche millennial fashion. But ours was very cute. I loved cute. it. Yeah. <laughs> We had our dog run out with balloons and I remember a lot of conversation around like what gender you thought it was a boy because of the dream. I was convinced it was a boy. Convinced it was a boy. So when it was a girl, how did you feel? I was so excited. <laughs> you were so excited because you, another I thing like, about Kat, like she was a nanny growing up. Even when we were married, she nannied the cutest little girls. So we had practiced parenting on two girls and loved it. We both loved it. I think... That's you'd be excited for. And I have mostly sisters. You have all sisters. I just feel like girls are really they're what I know. I'm also a girl, which is really helpful. Yes. (laughs) I was like so excited to have a boy, but I was like, I don't know what boys are. I don't know how to do boy stuff. So when it was a girl, it was it was fun. I would have been happy either way, but it was just fun to find out that she was a girl. So we started prepping to have her with everything that happened to us. I just felt like we always kept like having the worst case scenario happen. So I was like, 
I'm not buying anything for this baby until she's 24 weeks. Till I was 24 weeks pregnant. So. Sorry. So can I ask now that we've discussed that dream, you knew we'd have someone pass. Were you thinking about that at this point? Were you assuming that was the twin that didn't make it? What was your Where was your mind in relation to that? Yeah. So I thought that we ha- it was the embryo that didn't take. Got it. So that's what I had been telling myself. So you're myself. like, cool, this is the girl from the dream. Yep. And so I was just like, once we hit 24 weeks, I was so excited. And we started buying stuff for her. Because that was the point. Like hitting viability. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I think that's what it's called. And so that was, I hit my weeks every Sunday. So that Sunday, I like made all these orders and it was so fun. And Friday of that week, I couldn't feel a baby. And I was like, what's going on? So we went to the hospital and they did a scan on her and they like put her on the monitor and they're like, your baby looks perfect. And they made me feel stupid. Like, you didn't need to come in here. She looks fine. Like, you guys can go home. And so I was just like, oh, well, I'm just like a first time mom. But they kind of gave an explanation as to why. I had an interior placenta. So they were like, she moved behind your placenta. You can't feel her movements as much anymore. And so I was like, all right. So we went home. I felt her like, like she was having way less movement at that point. I felt her maybe two or three times the rest of the day. And then I woke up the next day and just wasn't feeling her. And I just kept trying to tell myself, like, she just moved and she's still little and you don't know what you're talking about. And so we went on. And then in the afternoon, I just was like, something's not right. Like, I literally can't get her to move at all. And so we decided to go back into the hospital. And what was so weird is when we were driving up, I was like, they're probably going to tell us the same thing. Like... Yeah. I probably don't know. I really wasn't that stressed. So when we got in there and they were hooking us up to the monitors and they couldn't find her heartbeat that they had found just the day before so easily, it was just like the biggest shock of our whole life. And I think, man, it's just so weird to think about because it's so surreal. It, it, it's happening in slow motion. You're in shock because I think three different people checked but we could tell by their tones by the mood something was not right but you're still like just sitting in silence holding and then finally was it the resident nurse came in and confirmed there's no heartbeat yeah because they were i'm sure it's fine and then they come and tell you that and i mean it's it was devastating anyone who's had any loss in this form knows It was, as we said earlier, this was the new worst moment of our life because everything we worked for was gone in an instant, I guess, in an instant of information. And then it was, okay, what happens next? And you're trying, it's just hard because you're trying to process. You want to grieve and have these emotions, but you also have to make the hardest decisions of your life very quickly. Well, and I was like so scared because I'm like, I am going to give birth. I had to wrap my head around that. Uh, I that's I wasn't prepared to do that for another 16 weeks. Right. And I had never done it before. So I had no idea of what it was going to be like. And now I'm going to give birth to a baby who's not going to be breathing or crying. And it is just, I don't, I, can't, I think I said over and over again, I don't want to do this. Or I can't, I do, can't this. do this. Because then they basically said, here's your options. I think it was 
go into labor now or go home until she comes naturally, right? Because I just remember being like, I don't want to go home knowing she's not alive. They said that we could wait a couple days, but like risk of infection wasn't great. That's right. We go back home from the hospital that's 30, 40 minutes away. Get our stuff. (laughs) It was so weird because we had to call Kat's family to to come be with our dog because we knew we were going to be there a while. You like prep a bag and it's just like the weirdest, most morbid thing it was horrible. It was so yeah. horrible. It's not supposed to be that way. And you're just going through the motions in a state of shock, for me at least. So we go back to the hospital and prepare to give birth. Yeah, so I was induced, and 16 hours later, we met our daughter. I tried not to cry. <laughs> you were doing so good. And let me just say, Kat did such an incredible job because like she said, this is something no one wants to do, but you have to do it and you did it. And a lot more went wrong, which we'll probably talk a little bit about, but you were so strong and really just put your head down and rallied. It was, I didn't know what else to do. You don't know what else to do when you're in that situation, but so we... It's like fight or flight, but you can't flight. Like there's yeah. no flight, you so you just to have to it. fight, yeah. right? Except, <laughs> so I gave birth. I held our daughter's name is Edie. Her name's Edelweiss. And I, I think you decided Edie. that driving back to the hospital. We both just were like, "That's her name," because that's why I wanted to name her the whole time. But we felt like Edelweiss was like a name that she probably couldn't use like in real life. Yeah. But it just felt like her name her the whole time, and nothing else felt like it fit. And then. When we found out she wasn't going to be going to kindergarten or spe- spelling her name or anything like that, we just were like, her name's Edie or yeah. Edelweiss. So um, anyways, I they put her on my chest right after I gave birth to her, but I only got to hold her for 30 seconds and I started bleeding out like crazy. And so they gave her to Nick and so Nick got to hold her for a little bit, but then things just got too crazy. So they took her and they took pictures of her for us and made little like hand and feet molds for us. And then we got 24 hours with her in the hospital with her little body before we had to leave her. It was horrible. And again, it's another moment that's, it was the most beautiful moment of our life, but also the worst moment of our life because time almost stops. Yeah. And the room just filled with love. And you're holding this beautiful thing, this beautiful human baby that isn't alive, but you still feel so connected and so much love. But then again, like you said, you started bleeding. So I'm holding her while trying not to panic about you. And there's probably eight people in the room at least dealing with cat bleeding out and then I'm like, is Kat about to die? But I'm yeah. trying to be like, you're doing good. I was like and throwing up. I was like passing out. It was horrible. That moment was, I hate to say taken away because yeah. it wasn't, but like we would have loved more time. But at the same time, the time we had was like so precious. And, like, and I should back up and say like, when they told me that I was like starting to push, I was like so excited to meet her. Mm-hmm. It was like the weirdest, like all of my grief like turned off for a little bit. And I was just like, so excited to see her and meet her and 
see her little body and stuff. But moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> so that was obviously like so heartbreaking and so hard. And we had to leave her there and um, go home empty handed after years of trying to have a baby. And Kat had talked a lot about what it would be like to bring her home. And I'm sure that was just, I know it was just the worst thing ever to come home no longer pregnant or without the baby. And then again, I think it was just, we had been through it so many times in different ways, obviously, but okay, we want to grieve. We're so sad. What do we do next? And then you have to make more decisions about what do we do with the body? Do we want to bury her? Do we want to cremate her? Where do we bury her? We talked to both our families. My parents came out to support us and everyone's so supporting, but it's weird because you don't want to be with people. So like all of a sudden, all these people are at our house making decisions and we had decided to bury her and found a spot, but then there was like issues with the cost and. It should be free to bury your baby, but. Well, we were told like it's free because it's an infant and we're like, cool. And then after two hours at this place that will remain nameless, they're like, okay, here's the invoice. And there's all these costs. They're like, oh, well that's different. That's for other. And you're like, are you kidding me? So. Like thousands of dollars. We're like, this wasn't like the main thing that we were thinking about, but it was like. We still have life expenses and then we eventually want to start our family again and we're either going to do IVF again or we're going to right. do, uh, we're going to adopt and that costs money and like, how do we choose how to do this? Anyways, that and was like a really hard. is covered by 90% of plans. We ended up doing like a viewing, just us, which I'm really glad we did. And Well, your mom basically told you Without, I mean, she basically told you something and you were like, I just need to like step back and take my time. Because I think we just both felt so rushed to decide things. And your mom basically was like, just wait. There's no rush. Because yeah. we were wanting to like have a ceremony with while everyone was there. And then she decided to step back and feel everything. <laughs> and then ended up deciding to, to cremate her for various reasons. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did. So that was really hard. Um, and then the months after were just so hard like coming up on her due date healing postpartum it was just a lot but we were in survival mode and had been in survival mode for so long and I just feel like we had our head down and just wanted not to replace our daughter or anything like that she's always going to be our first baby but just we still really wanted to achieve that goal of having a family at home and so we just I think we just powered through all of those few months because five months later we decided to try again. <laughs> we definitely powered through and it's hard to not get too deep into this because this could be its own episode, right? But like we've talked about this and you probably hear this a lot in these situations, but like we both died that day, right? A piece of you dies and you leave as a different person. And like Kat and I like didn't really know each other anymore and we didn't know our, because we didn't know ourselves because yeah. you're this new person that you have to re-identify and find out like how you exist and who you are after something like that. So it was so hard and we had to figure it out. And again, we won't spend too much time on that, but as Kat said, we powered through and we both just felt really inspired to do something for her and 
some friends of ours who had a similar experience suggested a grief trip and basically told us what they did. And I went and told Kat and was like, I told, I think I told you not expecting much. And you're like, we have to do that. And a huge part of it was because we, the trip was Germany and Austria where the Edelweiss flower comes from. And Sound of Music. And, and Sound of Music. And so we thought, what better way to honor her by going to those places of her namesake. And it was during Christmas and the Christmas markets. And we love Christmas and we love travels. And it was over her due date. Yes, yeah. that's, yes. Because we were like, we don't want to be here sad for her due date. And like for Christmas. So her due date was December 18th. And so we were going to have a baby over Christmas right. and it was going to be amazing. And like, it was going to be the best Christmas ever because we were just going to be home, us three celebrating Christmas. And so then yeah. I was like, I absolutely do not want to be in my house on Christmas day when we don't have a baby we're supposed to have here. Yeah. So we planned this trip with the help of my friends and it was incredible, but it was weird. Like you're so still so weird. sad. You can't, I think we're both a little bit of escapists. We love yeah. to travel, to run away from things. Like cats live in a ton of different places. I traveled a ton growing up for, and I bring that up because we learn you can't escape grief no matter where you are, but we still had an incredible time and made so many memories and really connected with her in a really special way. For sure. And we both loved that trip in spite of how hard it was. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. And another thing that made it really hard was I had started my fertility medication for our second transfer. And so I was an emotional wreck already, obviously, but it was 10 times worse because I was on all of these hormones that were making me feel so crazy. Transfer number two, which we decided to not share online this time just because we didn't know how we were going to feel, if it was going to work how people were going to feel about us trying so quickly. And I am so glad we did that because it just was really special that like only us and our family and like a couple close friends knew about. And it was a really quick trip. We just went out in January. We were there for two days. They put our last little embryo in me mm. and I was so scared. <laughs> I've never been so scared in my life and so like and sick with anxiety. Because now you have this experience so your baseline is just it's not going to work because it didn't, but you have to be hopeful. And going back a little, I think it, we both made that decision because I think some people might think that was quick, but I think it helped us to put our energy and our sadness into a purpose and totally. starting our family. And so going back was really special, but also weird and sad. But I obviously feel the same that I'm so glad we did it that way. And now you're pregnant again. It worked. It worked. <laughs> Pregnant again with a girl. 26 weeks this week. No, no 27. Holy cow. Yeah. High five. <laughs> so we passed the mark of when we lost our first baby, which was a huge milestone. Because as Kat said, a lot of anxiety as soon as we got to Barbados until now, right? And we've been on edge. We have a special team of doctors that know our situation. So everything is very high importance. But it's just like everything's like this is normal, but like it might not be. So we're 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 still very on edge, but we're doing way better now for sure. In this pregnancy, we've had even more complications, which if you follow us online, we won't go into huge detail. But basically, at my anatomy scan, I was dilated, and we thought we were going to lose this baby at 20 weeks, and that fear and those experiences like came rushing back 
we had a conversation about what we would do if, this, if we lost this baby and we had to talk about all these different scenarios and it was really hard and super triggering. And then I was on bed rest for a month to try to keep this baby in. They put a cerclage in. Uh, we thought that my water broke. It was just a huge disaster. So it has not been smooth sailing, but the last three weeks have been really good. We've gotten great news. Our doctors are so supportive. I literally, we've talked about naming this baby after our doctor because yeah, he's so incredible. So we've just been so glad that we found him. We found him because he specializes in pregnancy after stillbirth. Edie led us to him, which is really special. And But again, our experience has been the other shoe dropping. So I think we both have just been waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it hasn't. And there's still a lot that could happen. But I think, for me at least, I... And I've felt pretty hopeful the whole time, but there's been a lot of stressful moments, right? But I finally am feeling the most hopeful I have in a long time, which is nice. Totally. And me too. I've just felt, just the last two-ish weeks, just felt so much lighter, so much excited, so much more excited. And just, this baby's going to make it here. And that's really fun and exciting. That is where we're at. That was very long our story has a lot more details even more than what we just gave you in the last hour but we're so excited to be sharing here on this podcast and on this platform it gives us more room to share more about ourselves not just the fertility all of that information is necessary to know where we're coming from when we talk about other topics and we share different experiences that have nothing to do with starting our family but um, this journey has been the foundation of our relationship, I think. Absolutely. And we've only grown closer and deeper and stronger in our relationship. This is our story. It's unique, but there's a lot similar stories out there. So we are excited to hear some of those and get our community involved and ponder more together. And not everything's going to be this heavy, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, have fun. We like to go do fun things and Pretty joke cool. around. And yeah. we're excited to show all sides of us and, I don't know, let you guys get to know us more. Absolutely. And get to know you a little better as well. Thank you for being here and thank you for listening. And again, we are so excited. We could have talked for hours, but we want to try to keep it succinct and specific. And so there's a lot more to come that we are just stuff to to share so thanks for pondering with us and we'll meet you here next week same time same place